Hello, my name is Rosie Goldsmith and I'm director of the European Literature Network and presenter of the Europe Reader podcast, a new series of conversations with riveting authors from across Europe. You may already know my nickname, Rosie the Riveter, and our magazine, The Riveter, as well as our riveting reviews and riveting interviews, all dedicated to giving European writers the prominence they deserve. In this special podcast series, the European Literature Network is teaming up with Europe Reader, a groundbreaking digital platform initiated by the Slovenian presidency of the EU Council with the support of EU member states and EU institutions. Our joint motto is open a book for a better future. And our goal is to tackle the main topic of our times, the future of living. Through events and podcasts like these, we want to get readers everywhere, exchanging ideas, reflecting on the kind of world we want to live in and how literature and books can help. Find out more about Europe Reader by logging on to the website, europereader.eu. You can also access and read free books from each featured author from each EU member state, both in the original language and in English translation. There are novels, short stories, poetry, comics, essays, and some really beautiful picture books for younger readers. Each riveting Europe reader interview is dedicated to one author from one country. And today I'd like to introduce you to Axel Linden. Now, Axel is in Sweden. Axel has written two books with the English titles On Sheep and Conditions. So they're about sheep and about forestry. Um, welcome, Axel. Your, your life has changed quite dramatically since you published these two books. You weren't a writer, you are now a writer, uh, widely translated and very successful. But um, it's only been a few years, 2010, I think it was, that you left your life uh, in Stockholm. You were a, a university lecturer in literature. You left your life, brought your family to the farm in southern Sweden, where you are now. Tell me what happened. What was the big dramatic turnaround in your life that brought you here? Of course, it was me and some my wife and, and some friends were thinking about the situation in the world and on, on the planet. And, and we, we got to the conclusion, maybe a bit naive, but still uh, that the, the problem was the, the urban life in itself. Uh, not that we thought that we could change anything or, or that our lifestyle would mean anything in, in the big picture, but, but we had an urge, or at least I had an urge to, to, to change something in, in our life, in my life. And uh, as an urban person in a big city and a university, all I did was indoor things. And I, now I, I have almost forgot that thought that I, I it was a thought that followed me that I was like, a, like an indoor cat like a, a domestic animal uh, and you can see in a cat that it, it has the wild in it but it, it cannot use it it gets fat and slow but still you can see that it, it's made for hunting and catching wild small animals and I, I had that feeling too that that my body sort of degenerated and, and um, I really wanted to get outside you know feel the cold, lift heavy things. <laughs> now, obviously, during a pandemic, a lot of us have been thinking about, you know, living an alternative life and, you know, have the fantasy of living out in the country and so on too. But you 
you did this, you know, over 10 years ago. And you did it really, though, with a sense of naivety, too, didn't you? You didn't know what you were going to do. You didn't know what you were letting yourself in for. Well, there was there was sort of of the reason for me to 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 do something that you couldn't control, and not we. I mean, at that time, we 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 met other people who who talked about starting, you know, collectives, buying a small farm, moving out with other families, and they. Uh, I think they over what you say over theorized it, overthought it. Overthought it. Yes, they they, they had meetings, you know, in Stockholm. Endless meetings, endless writings about rules. How would what would we do if this happened? And I, I just got sick of it in like two minutes, and just I just wanted to do it. And I think the the, the point was to do something that you couldn't control, to do something that you didn't know how to do. To be honest, that there is another factor here that, <laughs> and that is, I tell actually me the grew, truth now. Tell yes, me the, the truth. truth is that I grew up on a farm. Actually, this farm, it, it's my, it's, it was my father's farm and my grandfather and, and the great-grandfather before him. So in that way, I had a connection to this place. And I realized um, when we came here that not only the, the, the connection to the actual place, I also had sort of in my body... Um, I think it was from my, not that I helped my father a lot. He, he was like a conventional farmer and just drove the tractors. And anyway, I, I, ha, I didn't help him out much. And I didn't think that I had any skills from my childhood. But in a way, now I realize that it, it sort of, I had put in my body in early childhood that I had a natural talent to grab a hammer and, you know, hammer down things in, a, you know. How did you, as a you know lecturer in literature, how did you learn how to become a farmer? It wasn't hard to to learn how to do it. I think um, I have no very special talent for this. It's just try and fail and try again and do better. And I think in the books, uh, what might seem like a very special adventure, a man uh, reluctantly doing these things. I think it's also about uh, trying to um, uh, depict a person, which is me, but still it's it's literature and, and it, it has this uh, thinking behind it that it's uh, creating an anti-hero. And I think that is a natural way to tell a tale. It has been a very joyful journey. But in the books, I think it seems a little more dark than it actually is. Would you say that what you've done is a very Swedish thing? Perhaps I think, in Sweden, yes, in Sweden, um, many people has a close relationship to rural areas since, I mean, Sweden is a vast land and you know, the cities are not that big. So it's very easy for quite a few people to relate to, to me and my life. But what, what, what I realized after a few years is that almost all life on the, on, on the countryside is, in, in fact, urban. Because you go to a normal shop, you, you drive your car, you watch the same TV series, you do all the same things. I started to have, you know, like deep feelings for the nature. And that is 
sounds simple, but it's not quite complicated. It, and it's nothing you can have like or, or get overnight. Uh, and, and it's not that this landscape where I live is particularly beautiful and uh, the forest, it's nothing special with the forest. But through the years and, and over the years with working in the forest and, and, and connecting to the wild animal, animals, the domestic animals, I started to have deep affection to nature as such, which is totally different from knowing about environmental problems, uh, the climate thing, which is all intellectual and um, yeah, rational. To what extent were you inspired by um, the you know, current debates about and, and protests about climate change, climate crisis? Very much, very much when we, uh, when we decided to move to the countryside. But as I said, that, of course, that question is still very, very important, but it's not, it's not a reason to stay on the countryside. It's not a reason to live this life because you realize that you, you, don't, you don't contribute anything to, to a change by just living differently. What I can do is try to tell my story about how, how, how I started to feel strong feelings for the nature as such. And sometimes I think like sort of almost religious movement could be a part of a solution in the climate crisis. You've published two books um, which have done very well indeed. One is about sheep, as we've been saying, and the other is about forestry. And they both chart your journey, um, the challenges that you and your family had. But you spoke about a religious movement that maybe that will save the climate. Do you yourself, through your books, do you think that you've taken on this role as a, as a little bit of a philosopher preacher? <laughs> I would very much distance myself from the word preacher. I think I'm not thinking about religion in that sense, because I think preaching is also part of the problem. Preaching is part of a civilized way to control things and control other other people and, and, and ultimately control the, the nature. I think what we need to do is, is to leave um, nature to itself. Is your belief then that the individual has to take individual responsibility you cannot necessarily change the world but you can change how you as an individual are in the world yes it won't help uh, reading my books but it might be uh, a part of a process of connecting to nature tell me about the writing of the books what does the act of writing mean to you i mean as somebody who studied literature and obviously read widely love literature you've now written two books does that make you feel happy, proud? Uh, well, in, in a quite a banal way, I'm proud, of course. And my children are proud of me being in the paper. <laughs> and I mean, that is, a, that, is a, that is a joy, of course. But both in my writing and in my life as a farmer and forester, I wanted to be a project of, of resistance against conventional forestry and against conventional conceptions of literature. And those uh, sort of, um, they act together in, in my life. And therefore, um, I, I, of course, I mean, 
I'm, I'm quite old now. I'm, I'm not a young person that's okay. looking forward to a long, uh, gorgeous career as a, as a writer. Therefore, it, it's not a big problem for me to say that I, I don't care about being a writer. If you read my books, that's good. And I think I have something to say, but I don't want to, uh, I don't, I'm not very interested in what people think, if, if it's good written or if it's good literature. That's not the project. You've developed a really interesting style, though. And um, if I look at the two books, and I really like it, it's, it's, it's as though you're writing a journal. You write um, very short texts. They're fragments, really. Um, and they're in the present tense. And they're observations about yourself and about the land and about the trees and about many of your encounters and the challenges you've had, um, you know, working the farm, the forest with the sheep. And so, so you've definitely got your own particular style how did that very sort of short sharp style develop I think I, I like to think because that that would um, uh, strengthen my thesis about uh, those two projects uh, working together being a farmer and being a writer but I think that since I write the same day as I work with the sheep and work in the forest I think that builds the style uh, and of course, sometimes I, I can sit a whole day writing and trying uh, rewriting, but I think um, the language is uh, processed through uh, a, a working man hand, man's hands. How would you describe how your family has reacted to your project? My wife and I did it together, and, and I mean, she was um, on board and she likes the garden, and uh, she's she's a good uh, gardener, but she has a work in in in, this, in the nearby city now. And my children, they were quite small when when we moved here, and they grown. I mean, the, the oldest is eighteen now. She's she's a uh, she's a grown up, and she has uh, she has her own um, values and uh, ideas. And I think they respect me, and they they understand my. Um, inclinations and, and my and my thinking but that's because of me and, and my behavior towards them that I really want them to to uh, to find their their own way in the short term it has to be something else than me otherwise it wouldn't be freedom and that has been very important to me to let them find their own way I don't, I, I don't think I have tr even tried to get any certain message across. What I do think is that they they know how it works. They know how, at least uh, on a basic level, how nature works. You have to walk quietly to be able to shoot the deer. They have a relationship to, to, to that. And I think... When the crisis es escalate, I think they will, I hope they find that this is um, a good place to be. When you return to the city and meet your old friends again from the old days, what do they say? What they say? Well, some of them tried to join, but um, it didn't really catch on. But I mean, we, we, uh, we talk about other things. I try to keep a low profile because it can be not good for a relationship to talk about your life as like the right choice and your choice is wrong. So we don't talk about it that much. I would talk about that other things. Has their attitude to you changed because of your success as a writer? 
I think it has, um, of course, a lot of joy. Of course, a lot of joy. I, I've been uh, uh, at some parties, the editors' parties, stuff like that. But I think uh, it, it's not a problem. I shouldn't complain. But I think my underdog uh, persona is not as valid anymore. <laughs> you can't pretend anymore. No. To be underdog. <laughs> no. Uh, because for for the first the first years, I, I really exploited the, the the theme of being out an outcast, and being not being a part of of the conventional society. But now, I mean, I have a voice. When we look at the project, this project, which is about the future of living, the Europe Reader project, and about the power of books to change minds, lives, and so on. Is that what you believe as well? Do you believe that books can change people, that your books can change people? Yes and no. I don't believe in changing people really, but if there is a slight change, I think books is one of the best ways. Otherwise I wouldn't write. And I think it's, it's I mean, it's slow. I think it's, literature is still the best way to connect to um, another unknown person, you know? I don't think I'd persuade people, but since I have a story, several stories, I think people connect to that. And I, I can't go as far as say as that could bring some change. Here I am, here, here is this story. Now you have to take your steps. I cannot say what those steps. It's just over 10 years since you made that big step to move um, from Stockholm and from your former life as a, a lecturer to the countryside. When you look back over those 10 years, and do you recognize the person you were and the person you are now? What do you think the biggest change has been? The physical thing, I think. I um, Not that I'm that much stronger or, or more fit. Uh, I'm, I mean, get, I'm getting older as well. I think a big difference is um, that I'm outside and I have an urge to be outside every day. And... Um, to where in my former life, uh, my, my day-to-day life was like being on a, on a cafe, or, or, uh, going on the subway. But now it's moving a, a sheep or felling a tree. I mean, that is a big difference. You've got your 50th birthday coming up. Yes. And what do you think you'll be doing then and for the next few years? What are the challenges you've set yourself, the goals? I have some quite specific goals, which is I have a horse. I, I, I work in the forest with, with my horse, and, and that is still uh, a learning process. And this winter, I have a goal of a certain amount of timber to be taken out from the forest, which may be a bit a banal goal but um, I, I think those months and years ahead will develop my relationship to the horse which is in one way it's it's just a way of getting better of, of, of uh, transporting the timber out of the of the forest but it's also it will deepen my relationship to that individual and that is something I look forward to very very much and perhaps to writing a book about the experience with the horse. Well, maybe. 
watch this space, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Axel, thanks ever so much. It's been wonderful talking to you. And um, I'm going to let you, you go back to the farm. Um, so thank you so much, Axel. Thank you to Axel Linden in Sweden. My name is Rosie Goldsmith, and thank you for listening to today's riveting interview. You can follow all the European authors participating in the Europe Reader Project on the Europe Reader website, europereader.eu. And don't forget, you can also read an extract from Axel's book on the website. You can access all our riveting interviews on the European Literature Network website. Thanks for listening. Bye.